And if the pulpit doesn't address it, how are the young people going to know? How are we going to know what God really says? So this Wednesday night, I'm going to go where angels fear to tread, but I trust at least one or two of them are coming with me. And it's going to be good. All right? Boy, y'all look so somber, even when I give you the announcement. All right. How many of you know when we're going to two services? And we're staying in two. And so we're going to be in a 9 o'clock and an 11 o'clock. And how many of you think you might show up at the 9 o'clock? I want to see. Stand up. Let me see you. Oh, my. That is excellent. And so that, you know what that means to you, 11 o'clock churchgoers? You're going to have to bring some friends. But we'll grow into it, and we always have and always will, and God's going to bless. Now, if you love the Word today, stand up with me. And we're going to read out of Romans 8, 1 and 2. And we've taught now for three weeks on landmines in the walk of faith. Landmines are those things that the devil plants in your path, like a real landmine, that when you step on it, unaware that it's there, it takes you by surprise, it explodes under your feet, and you are greatly afflicted by that particular spiritual landmine. Now, the last two Sundays, we've dealt with offenses. First Sunday, we dealt with offenses that are horizontal between you and other people. And I guarantee you, that's where we live. Last week, we talked about offenses toward God. Can you be offended towards God? You better believe it. Some of you today have a, an offense deep down, harbored against God. And if you weren't here last week to hear it, you ought to get the CD because it'll change your life. We're preaching the Word. We're ministering Scripture. I'm not telling you what I think. I'm ministering the Word to you. Now, today I want to talk to you about a big one, the landmine of condemnation. This is one the devil plants in your path to blow up under your feet, and when it does, it's nasty. So let's read what the Bible says in Romans 8, 1 and 2. Can you say with me, therefore? Whenever you see a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. It's a connective, and I'm going to talk to you about what led up to this. Now, therefore, there is now how much condemnation? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death now this was so good I had to read it to you out of the message Bible as well and there we go I love this those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud of condemnation. Isn't that good? How come? Because a new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Well, that's just good stuff. Amen. Say with me, no condemnation. Father, I pray that condemnation will be driven out of every heart and all of our friends by radio, that condemnation will be defeated by the blood of the Lamb. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me today. I receive your word. Amen. You can be seated. Tell your neighbor, no condemnation. Well, there you have the Word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in 
Jesus Christ, who walked not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now let me tell you what condemnation means. Condemnation in the Greek means, it's taken from a Greek word that means this, to pass judgment, to accuse, to know something against someone. Now if we were to boil down the word condemnation to one brief, easy to remember phrase, it's this. The verdict of guilty in a trial. When that judge lowers the hammer down or on the gavel and says, my sentence is you're guilty, the jury has deemed you guilty, and that's the verdict, that's what condemnation means. It is the verdict of guilty in a trial. And so that's what you're dealing with when you're dealing with condemnation. And that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 8 when he's talking about there is therefore now no more guilty verdict to those who are in Jesus Christ, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit of God. Now, here's the fact of the matter, and let me just give you a little bit of good theology, which we all need today, because we need to see what the Bible says about you and me. How many of you believe today that Jesus has washed your sin away? I mean, you know that he has, you know you're forgiven, you know you're going to heaven. Let me see that again. I should have given an invitation for souls. All right, that's good. Now watch this. The truth of the matter is, if you start all the way back at Romans 1, that guilty over the human race is a true fact that it is a true statement that the human race is guilty in the first three chapters of romans paul makes the charge that jew and gentile everyone all human beings are under sin listen to his x-ray scan of the human soul everybody listen to what the bible says about you and me starting at romans chapter 3 verse 10 he says as it is written there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God naturally, nobody who seeks God if left to themselves. All have turned away. They have altogether become worthless. There is no one who does good in the eyes of God, no, not even one. Listen to the not even one, none, no one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. He's talking about you and me, unsaved without the influence of the Spirit of God. Have you sat around at a coffee break at work lately and seen that that's true? Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Isn't that true about the human race? Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They curse God. And you notice, they never say, Buddha. Or they never say, well, Muhammad. Oh, no. They always curse the true God. And there's something there. He goes on and says, wow, here's the x-ray of the human condition. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know naturally. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the take of Romans 1 through 3 on you and me before we know Jesus. That's why we needed a Redeemer. Now, if Paul's letter stopped at Romans 3, let me tell you, we would be completely hopeless. If he stopped at Romans 3, it would be, woe is me, I am undone, there's no hope, we're all going to hell, it's over with. But in Romans 4 through 5, we read that there is an answer. There is an answer. There is a remedy. And it's only one. It's not many. It's only one remedy 
for the sin problem, and that's what our nation has and what our world has, it's not primarily a terrorism problem or a drug problem or an immorality problem. It all springs from the same root, and that is the root of sin, that all of us are born into. Romans 4 through 5 says the remedy is faith in Jesus Christ and His shed blood. Faith in what Jesus did for us is the only way to get the monkey off your back, the sin out of your life. It's the only way to hear spoken over you forgiven. The blood, the work of Jesus. Can I tell you something today? Nobody has ever come to this world but Jesus to die for your sins, to rise from the dead. Nobody ever loved you like He does. Nobody ever stood in your place like He did. Nobody ever rose from the dead like He did. Our Jesus came exclusively and only just for you. And so not leaving us in the grim picture painted in Romans 1 through 3, in Romans 4 through 5, he says, righteousness will be granted and credited to us who believe in, trust in, adhere to, and rely on God who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ. You can go hug a tree. You can be a billionaire and give all of it away. It will not bring peace with God to you. God sees one thing. He sees the blood. That's it. And when you face Him in eternity, He will not say, well, who'd you give all the money to? Did you ever get a ticket? Did you ever cuss? Were you faithful to your spouse? Did you do the right things? Uh Uh-uh. He's going to say this. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with my son? It says, through him also we have access, entrance, introduction by faith into this grace in which we firmly and safely stand. If you want to experience God, call on the name of Jesus. If you want to make peace with God, call on the name of Jesus. If you want to walk full of the Holy Spirit that comes from heaven, call on the name of Jesus. If you want that load of sin lifted off your shoulders, that ton of weight, call on the name of Jesus and you'll find you can leave it at the cross. That's Romans 4 and 5. But then you zip on up to Romans 7 and here's what you find in Romans 7. You read that even though we're saved, we experience still an ongoing inner battle in which we really want to do the right thing but we continually fail Paul lamented this fact and he wrote these words I do not understand my own actions man now I added the man man I don't understand my own actions you ever feel this way I am baffled bewildered I don't practice or accomplish what I wish But I do the very thing that I loathe, that my moral instinct condemns. When I want to do right, wrong is there. When I know the right thing to do, I find myself falling short of doing it pretty often. I don't understand the battle that's going on inside of me. I don't get it. I feel like a hypocrite. I feel like a failure. He ends Romans 7 with a verse that doesn't bless you. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And that's where Romans 7 ends. Now, we all know the battle, don't we? 
You know the right thing when you walk out of here. You knew the right thing all week long, but several times you didn't do what was right. Some of you polishing your halo real quick looking at me. You thought something you shouldn't, said something you shouldn't, did something you shouldn't, that you knew grieved God. And so you find yourself in, the, in, in, the, in this battle. Now, now, here is where the battle with condemnation, the landmine of condemnation comes in. From my observation, and I mean this, now I've been pastoring 25 years, most Christians live in Romans 7 and not in the victory of Romans 8. And I want to preach you out of Romans 7. It, woe is me. I'm undone, wretched person that I am, into Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Jesus Christ, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now I'm so glad that Paul tells us the truth about himself, that he was in this battle and he made a breakthrough. Now if... If Romans 7 was the end of the book of Romans, we'd be stuck again. Who would want to be a Christian like that? that doesn't, that's not a testimony that would make me want to embrace Christ. Hey, did you get saved? Oh, wretched man that I am. Yeah, I'm saved. Oh, I'm wretched. I'm defeated all the time. There's failure in my life. I don't know what to do. I can't be truly victorious, but yeah, I'm saved. That does not want, make me want your God. You know what the Lord needs out there on the streets and in the highways and the byways and the workplaces and the homes and in church? He needs Romans 8 Christians who have made the breakthrough and realize that the blood of Jesus has taken away all condemnation. But you see, Romans 7 and the failure, knowing to do what is right and not doing it, falling short, making mistakes, that's where the devil plants the landmine of condemnation. And boy, he puts it in your path and it blows up under your feet. And here's how, here's how it happens. When you as a believer fall in sin or you're dealing with a habit you can't seem to get total victory over. The landmine of condemnation Satan has planted in your path explodes under your feet. And here's what happens when that happens. You are suddenly caught up in a wave of guilt, of fear, hopelessness, self-loathing, and despair. You feel unworthy of going to church. And you know there are people not in church today, I don't know of anybody in particular, but I know I'm right, who are not here because they are condemned. They're under condemnation. And the devil is beating them over the head with that sledgehammer. You're not worthy to go to church. You're not worthy to be around Christians. You're not worthy to hear the word. You're a hypocrite. And there are people who say, well, I'm not going to church with all those hypocrites. Well, that, you got a big bunch of hypocrites here. We'd be in big trouble without the blood of Jesus. So, so if you're beyond hypocrisy, come and help us out. But here's the way it happens. Here comes the fear. Here comes the guilt. Here comes the hopelessness, self-loathing, despair. The condemnation. Condemnation isolates you. Isolates you from the very thing you need most. You need the church. You need the word. You need prayer. You need worship. So come on in if you've been hypocritical. Come on in and drink of the water. Come on in and hear the word of God. Nobody here is going to throw a stone at you. Nobody here is going to judge you. We're all in the same boat. Come and worship God and get that off your back. 
But, but you see, the devil's motive with condemnation is to do that very thing, isolate you, get you out of the church. If he can get you to the place where you say, I might as well go ahead and give in, what's the use? That's his modus operandi with the landmine of condemnation. I fail all the time in little ways. Why not just give in? Why not just quit? Why not just walk away and give up this Christianity stuff? And you know what? That's Romans 7, not Romans 8. And God doesn't want you living in Romans 7. If you can't move from the frustration of Romans 7 into the victory of Romans 8 that we're going to talk about in just a moment, it's very unfortunate for you and it's very unfortunate for your testimony because God wants you in Romans 8 where you know you're forgiven. You can laugh. You've got the joy of the Lord because you know His blood has washed all your sin away. Now let me, let me point out a few important things about condemnation. The battle of condemnation. Chances are most of you in here dealt with condemnation on some level or another this very week. I did. I did. I got around some condemning people and it was like soot on me. And if you're not careful, people will condemn you and not just the enemy. But here's what I want you to understand. First of all, our real battle is not with condemnation per se, but it's with the accuser of the brethren who is behind the condemnation that attacks us. You know what one of the sad things about the church is today? There are great sections of the church saying, oh, there's no real devil. The devil is just a myth. The devil is just a figure of speech in the Bible. Can I tell you today, they are in the darkness. There is an adversary. And devil literally means accuser of the brethren. And I want to just expose him for a minute. Can I expose him today? Can I tell you his, the way he works against you and against me? I want you to imagine for a minute that we're in court. You're on trial. You've done something wrong and you know you've done something wrong. There sits the judge. And on one side of the courtroom is the prosecutor. Now, I want you to understand, when you fall, when you fail, a trial happens in your mind. And you're going to have the judge there who is God. And on one side of the courtroom in the theater of your mind is going to be a prosecutor. And the prosecutor, the Bible says, is Satan. Listen to me, church of God, because I want you to have victory. Listen, every time you fall, make a mistake, fall short, know that you haven't pleased God. Satan is there to bring his closing arguments for the prosecution against you, standing before the throne of God, accusing you, and he also stands in your own mind, accusing you his intent with this particular landmine is to cause you despair guilt to 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 take the victory and the joy of your christianity away from you he wants you to give up on your spiritual journey and he wants you to walk away because you failed he wants to take away your testimony your witness your joy your peace your sense of well-being and most of all, he's after your faith. Oh, he's after your faith. He's not out to make something go bump in the night. He's after your faith. And when he comes in with a landmine of condemnation, that's what he's after. He uses the landmine of condemnation to bring you into depression, fear, doubt, and hopelessness. Much depression, do you realize, comes from condemnation? I read recently a very well-known psychiatrist said, 
in London. He said, he said, I could mostly empty out the mental institution if I could convince the inmates that they are forgiven. Guilt is a weight. Guilt and condemnation are weights and they are, they are cripplers of our walk with God. Satan uses that condemnation to bring you into depression. Say, well, I'm not going to church. What's the use? I'm just a great big failure. He wants to use it to make you doubt God, and he wants to use condemnation to make you doubt the power of the Christian life. John the Revelator lifted the veil over the spirit world and allowed us a glimpse into heaven. And here's what John the Revelator saw happening in heaven. In Revelations 12, verse 10, he says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Do you want to know what the devil's doing right now? He is before the throne room of God accusing you and accusing me. Diabolos. Dia. Through. Balas to hurl. He hurls accusations so forcefully he wants them to pierce you and penetrate you. The Bible says that in Job chapter 1, you see the same truth. It says, quote, One day the angels of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. And God says to him, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then God proceeds to brag on Job. Have you noticed Job? Isn't he great? Man, he's honoring me. He's walking with me. He's my man. And what did Satan say? Satan's reply was, quote, yes, but you have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take everything he has and he will curse you to your face. Satan said to God about Job. What was Satan really saying? Let me interpret for you what Satan was really saying. He was attacking and undermining Job's character. Accusing him of simply giving God lip service. That's what he was saying. Accusing him of not being genuine in his faith. Accusing him of using God for what he could get out of him. And he does the same thing in your mind that he does before the throne of God. He comes into your mind in a moment of failure, a moment where you fall short, and he does the same thing. He he attacks you. He undermines you. He focuses on your imperfections, your weaknesses, your sins, and he brings you into a Romans 7.24 state of mind. Oh, wretched man that I am. And a lot of us don't even recognize it. We're sitting right there fellowshipping with his thoughts and agreeing with him. Yeah, you're right, man. I'm a dog. Man, I'm a hypocrite. Man, you got it down, man. Everybody else around me is better than me. I wish I could be like so-and-so and so-and-so, but I'm a loser born under a bad sign. And we fellowship with the devil. And we fellowship with his thoughts. And we give him uh, uh, entrance into our thought life. And I'm about to preach to you that you've got to stop that. You can't give him that. The Bible says you can give the devil an opportunity. You can give him place. 
And that word place comes from topos, and that means land. It means real estate. It means territory. You can actually give the devil, and I'm not talking about possession. I'm talking about oppression. You can give the devil territory, land, space in your life. Territory. You can give him an opportunity to gain real estate in your soul. And that's why I'm here today to make you wiser. Preach you out of Romans 7.24 into Romans 8.1. Everybody say amen or oh me. Now, we haven't heard the closing arguments yet. We've heard the prosecution's argument. But there is another argument. All the evidence is not in. Here's the deal. On one side, you've got Satan as the prosecutor. But on the other side of the courtroom, there is a defender and a defense attorney. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He's our defense attorney. His name is Jesus. Everybody say with me, Jesus Christ is my defense and my defender. While Satan is accusing you and me day and night before God, Jesus is declaring us forgiven, pardoned, and redeemed. Speaking of Jesus, listen to what the Bible says. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore, he is able also to save to the uttermost, completely, perfectly, finally, and for all time and eternity, those who come to God through Him. Since He is always, evermore, at every moment of every day, 24-7, making petition to God and interceding and intervening for you and me. So here's Satan 24-7. They're dirty dogs. They're hypocrites. They're not honoring you. And here's Jesus on the other side. You know what He's saying? Innocent. Pardoned, forgiven, redeemed, vindicated, set free, justified. You know what it comes down to? Whose report are you going to believe? And as for me and my house, I believe the report of the Lord. The blood is mightier than the devil. The blood is stronger than any sin. There's nothing you've done that God cannot forgive. Because on the cross, every sin for all time was judged and erased and eradicated and taken away. So when you take your sin to the cross, you leave it nailed there with Jesus Christ. And you come away freed. This is the victory found in Romans 8. Listen to what he says again. There is therefore now. Everybody say now. No condemnation. Not any. Not a little bit. Not a thimbleful. There is no condemnation. No guilty verdict. For those who are in Jesus Christ. Who don't walk according to the flesh. But according to the spirit. Romans 8. I want you to remember Romans 8. Dr. Donald Barnhouse said something wonderful. One of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. He said this, If a Christian's Bible fell on the floor, it should automatically fall open to Romans 8. Let's see if that will happen for me. Well, it didn't even open. <laughs> but what he's saying is Romans 8 is so crucial to every believer, everybody who names the name of Christ. Romans 8 is one of the chapters of the Bible that can meet you in your darkest hour, your deepest depression, and your greatest confusion. Romans 8. When in doubt, punt to Romans 8. If you're in a battle with the devil, punt to Romans 8. If you're under condemnation, punt to Romans 8. 
Go get it in the Amplified. Go get it in the Living Bible. Get it in the King James. Get it in the Revised Standard. Get it in the NIV. Get it in the NLT. Read it. Put it all over your refrigerator. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation, not any, not any at all, to those who are in Jesus Christ. You have been delivered, forgiven, set free, washed, justified. Romans 8 is the antidote for depression and frustration. The most powerful passage in the whole book of Romans is Romans 8. And the most powerful verses in Romans 8 are 1 and 2. No condemnation. Something incredible has happened to Paul. Do you notice? Between Romans 7.24, oh wretched man that I am, and Romans 8.1, hey there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. What happened to him? I'm going to tell you quickly what I believe happened. See, when you come under condemnation, there are three witnesses for the defense you need to call. First one is the Word of God. Say with me, the Word of God. When you're being beat up by condemnation, don't try to think your way out. Don't try to reason your way out. Word your way out. The first witness is the Word of God. When experiencing condemnation, the Bible says we are to take every thought captive to the reality and truth of the Word of God. Satan wants to remind you of your past. But Jesus wants to remind you of your salvation and your redemption. Satan will always bring up what you've done. Jesus will tell you what you're going to do now that you're redeemed. Satan focuses on your past. God focuses on your future. 2 Corinthians 10 says, here's the reality. Though we walk in the flesh, we're not warring according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, or man-made. They are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Well, what's a stronghold? It's whatever holds you strong. He says, here's what strongholds are, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of the Word of God. Here's what he's saying. Condemnation is an argument and it is an argument that is attacking the veracity, the truth, and the efficacy of the blood of Jesus. Condemnation says he could forgive you then, but he can't forgive you now. You were forgiven then. Oh, yeah, that was a great moment. You became a Christian. But right now, you're just a big hypocrite. So you know what you've got to do? You've got to say, that is an argument against the truth of the Word of God. I'm forgiven, I'm washed, I'm cleansed, I'm set free. And that's where I'm going to live. And so you go up against that argument that is standing against God's will in your life and you pull it down by truth. And I'm going to give you just one verse to use. I love this one. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Have you repented of your sin? Well, guess what? Why are you rehashing it again? Well, because it was terrible. Well, why are you rehashing it again? It's under the blood. God doesn't remember it. Say, well, but I do. And I just kind of think I need to beat myself up for a while because it was really terrible what I did. Hey, somebody was beat up for you. His name is Jesus. He was beat up for you. And so you got to live in that. And so you reach out to that argument and you say, this is not the truth of God in my life. And you pull it down. So you turn to the defense 
and the witness of the word. The second witness is Jesus himself. Do you know that Jesus doesn't condemn you? When the woman taken in adultery was thrown at his feet and she was surrounded by Pharisees who wanted her killed, it says Jesus straightened up and asked her after he had told all of them, you that are without a sin, you cast the first stone. It says he straightened up and asked her after they'd all walked away, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, they're gone. And he said this to her, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn. Go now and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. Jesus convicts his children, but he does not condemn his children. And there is a huge difference. So can you say with me, Jesus does not condemn me. So he's my second witness. In the theater of my mind, when that court is taking place and I'm being condemned, I bring in Jesus. He doesn't condemn me. And the third witness is the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen carefully. When the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus said, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Notice the word convict. Convict is not condemn. And I'm going to tell you the difference. When Satan condemns a person, it is always with the goal of driving them away from God. When he condemns you, he wants you to give up and walk away from God. But when the Holy Spirit convicts a person, it's always with the goal of drawing them near to God. So, if you're under condemnation, can I tell you today, that's not coming from God. It's not coming from Jesus. It's not coming from the Holy Spirit. It's coming from the accuser of the brethren. When we're experiencing condemnation, we can know it has not come from the right source. And some of you today are dealing with things that you've done, things that you've thought, things that the devil has used to actually keep some of you out of the ministry. You feel like a condemned man, a condemned woman. How do you know that, Pastor Jeff? He told me. And the Bible tells me. And I know it because I know people. Some of you, it's hard for you to get to church because you're so condemned. Some of you said this to yourself, God's never going to bless me with a good relationship because of what I've done in past relationships. That's condemnation. That's not Bible truth. Some of you said, God can't bless me because I'm under condemnation for what I've done. Nobody's done what I've done. Hey, can I assure you, lots of people have done what you've done. That's a lie from the devil. You're not so unique and you're not that important. And what? guess what? What you did is not greater than the blood. The blood testifies that nothing you've done can not be forgiven and God can restore you he can bring you back God says behold I will do a new thing now it shall spring forth shall you not know it he said quit considering the things of old quit focusing on the things in the past behold I'm going to do a new thing shall you not know it it's going to spring up all around you but as long as you're under condemnation you don't see it God wants you to live in Romans 8 1 and 8 2 not in Romans 7 24 when some of you woke up this morning, you said to yourself, I don't want to go to church. I mean, you're here by a miracle. You said, I don't want to go to church. Well, how come? Because of the way I feel about myself. I want you to go out of here today in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no 
condemnation. Listen to what it says. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Ghost makes you look up and say, Abba, Father. Can we stand together today? The landmine of condemnation. Some of you are crippled by it today. It comes to drive us away from God. We disarm the landmine of condemnation by the Word of God, the person of Jesus, and realizing that God doesn't condemn. He convicts. Can I ask you to do something today? Some of you have been under condemnation so long, you've built a case against yourself. Can I tell you that God's got not a case against you, but a purpose for you. And that purpose is to bless you. That purpose is to fill you with His Spirit. It's to give you a future and a hope. Will you forgive yourself and will you grab those three witnesses, the Word, Jesus Himself, and the Holy Spirit, and go into the theater of your mind and bring that condemnation down? Will you do that? Let me pray for you right now. With every head bowed, you can say, Pastor Jeff, I have been condemned. I have been under condemnation. And I want it lifted off of me. I see it now. I didn't see it before the service, but I see it now in the light of God's Word. Would you lift your hand up right where you are? I've been under condemnation. Put them up high all over this place. Many, many, many people. Many people. I want to see you set free. God bless you. Many people. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me right where you are. Say with me, Heavenly Father, I don't want to live in Romans 7.24, but in Romans 8.1 and 2, I want to walk in the liberty that Paul found. And so, Lord, I receive the word, and I ask you to disarm the landmine of condemnation from my life. I forgive myself. And I receive your forgiveness and the power of your blood in Jesus' name. Let's sing about that blood. And I want you to take a moment.